This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 20th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. The violence gripping Mexico can be traced directly to the international war on drugs being prosecuted by so many countries at the behest of the United States. Federal policy has changed only slightly in the last 30 years. So why be optimistic about the prospects of drug policy reform now? Ethan Nadelman, head of the Drug Policy Alliance, is optimistic. We spoke following yesterday's Cato Policy Forum, Mexico's drug war, the growing crisis on our southern border. If you look over the last 30 or 40 years, what you tend to see with these outbreaks of violence related to drug prohibition and illegal drug trafficking is at some point they begin to, they begin to, 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 to moderate, uh, you know, for whatever reason. The government begins to get the upper hand. It goes to an extra length. Uh, the traffickers begin to burn out on the violence and reach their own truces. Uh, you know, uh, collective elements of society just say enough's enough. We saw that with a, what happened with crack cocaine and all that violence in America in the 80s. We saw in Burma, Afghanistan, other parts of the world. So I think, obviously, the Mexican president, Calderon, has to take some strong steps. Maybe he needs more help from the U.S. intelligence agencies. He needs to get the upper hand on this high levels of organized violence. Uh, And I think they eventually will. But of course, that's not going to solve the long-term problem, either for Mexico, or is it going to keep it from popping up somewhere else, so long as we continue with the current drug policy? Newt Gingrich was on this week with George Stephanopoulos, I think that was the program, a few weeks ago, and he said, these drug cartels are at war with the Mexican government. And it seemed to me that he was just missing the point of why drug cartels were fighting. It didn't seem like the, doesn't seem to me that the drug cartels are actually fighting with the government so much as fighting with each other. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the cartels, look, what are they about? They're about making as much money as they can. And then they're about all of the sort of ego that gets to attach to, to power and to respect, right? I mean, in that respect, they're not very different than, than, the, than the CEOs of major U.S. or foreign corporations, right? Part of it's about how much money you make, and the other part of it is about the gamesmanship. And so these guys are fighting, these traffickers are fighting with one another over turf. They're fighting with the government to the extent the government's trying to take away their turf. They're fighting with the government to the extent that government people are corrupt and, and are, you know, not doing what they want them to do. They're fighting with the government because they get involved in this kind of, you know, who's the, you know, got the bigger cojones you know, in this part of town. So I think it's all of those dynamics. The shame with Martin Newt Gingrich, of course, is that he's smart enough to understand what's really going on here. I mean, this is a guy, I think, if you really scratch deep enough, he would say this whole thing's crazy. It's a prohibitionist problem we're dealing with. And legalization may or may not be the right answer, but we should at least put it on the table for discussion and stop running away from it. What positive signs do you see in terms of the general discussion about Uh, drug prohibition in the United States and the drug war that's being waged internationally, largely at the behest of the U.S. Well, I'm feeling strangely optimistic these days. I think part of it is that Obama's um, coming into office um, has just opened up a sense of something new being possible. You know, I think this sense that that under the previous administration, the Bush administration, you know, there was just a sense that there were not really new ideas bubbling up, certainly in this area. And when it came to drug policy, the former drug czar was essentially a non-entity. So I think there's a sense of, of possibility 
of, of moving in a new direction. But beyond that, there's specific things. It's what happened in late December in Arizona when the attorney general, uh, Terry Goddard, I think his name was, the son of a former governor, somebody who's considered himself to be a, a potential gubernatorial candidate, said, we got to start talking about the possibility of legalizing marijuana because that would really be the thing to hurt the Mexican drug gangs. A week or two later, the city council of El Paso, while you know expressing support for their sister city in Mexico across the border, said, we at least have to consider the possibility of legalization. I mean, they weren't advocating for it, just saying, let's talk about it. They got shot down by the mayor and the local congressman, but they put that out there. It's Senator Webb, Jim Webb from Virginia, former, you know, he's a Democrat now, but he was Ronald Reagan's former secretary of the Navy, and him saying, this is crazy how many people America has behind bars, and the drug war is driving this, and we need a new independent commission to look this all over and start moving in the right direction. It's some of the leadership in Congress. I mean, these Democrats, uh, Pelosi and George Miller and Henry Waxman and John Conyers and Barney Frank and others, I mean, they understand that the drug war is a failure, and they're not going to show real leadership on this issue in the short-term future, but there's at least a will- understanding about what's so fundamentally wrong. So I think that there's a bubbling up going on around our society, and I think that marijuana is the issue that raises the greatest potential. Because marijuana is the one where already 40% of Americans say we should treat it like alcohol. In the western part of the country, it's probably more than that. Uh, This thing that happened with Michael Phelps, you know, the Olympic hero with the 14 gold medals who smokes a bong and all of a sudden he has to go through this public apologia about doing this. The, The reaction this time was, enough already, stop with the nonsense. So I see a sort of transformation driven by cultural changes, given by the massive fiscal deficits in many of the states. Um, driven by a sense of frustration with the drug war, both here and abroad, that's really leading to a greater potential for opening up the debate, unlike anything we've seen in decades, if not forever. How do you evaluate uh, the man who is likely to be uh, President Obama's Office of National Drug Control Policy. Well, I'll tell you, my organization, you know, the Drug Policy Alliance, we put out a statement saying that we were cautiously optimistic about Obama's nomination of Gil Kurlikowski, the Seattle police chief. And the reason had less to do with Kurlikowski than the fact that he has been, for the last half dozen years, the police chief of Seattle, which is in King County, which is in Washington State, all of which has been at the cutting edge of harm reduction and drug policy reform over the last decade. I mean, Washington State was one of the first states to legalize medical marijuana. It's worked pretty well. Uh, Seattle passed a local resolution saying that marijuana enforcement should be the lowest priority of the police. They've had needle exchange programs for a long time. The King County Bar Association led what has probably been the most comprehensive and systematic effort to evaluate alternative drug policies, everything from the nitty-gritty of drug treatment and government uh, benefits to big issues around decriminalization and legalization. So I feel they have HempFest, you know, 1,500,000 people showing up smoking marijuana with virtually no arrests. So Kurlikowski as police chief was not a big ally of these things, but neither was he as an opponent. And so he's familiar with this language, with these ideas. And given the fact that he's currently the chief of the Big Chiefs Police Association, given the fact that he's spoken out in the past against these harsh crack, uh, federal crack powder laws, I feel that there's going to be more of a door open with him and that he is going to follow through in somewhat good faith on at least some of the commitments that Obama made uh, on drug policy reform as candidate. That's why I feel like, all things considered, not bad. For states that have to make these difficult decisions about where to put uh, limited resources, what would you tell a state about the fiscal impact of, for example, 
uh, a dramatic uh, reform of marijuana laws. Well, I mean, look at California right now. I mean, we got a forty billion dollar deficit. I mean, the state is about to fall apart essentially. Uh, you know, you look at marijuana is a massive source of income, illicit income. There, it's a multi multi billion dollar industry. The state is spending now hundreds of millions, if not billions, on enforcing the marijuana laws. It starts to become a no brainer. I mean, it's it's what happened with alcohol prohibition. Alcohol prohibition was chugging along through the 20s, and then the Depression hits in 1929, and before you know it, we're repealing the 18th Amendment. Only time in American history we've ever repealed a national amendment. 18th gets repealed by the the 21st in 1933. And the first, second, and third reasons why prohibition ended so quickly was the Depression. People saying it makes no sense to be spending increasing billions of dollars enforcing unenforceable laws because it feels morally righteous to us, when instead we could be legalizing this stuff, taxing it, and earning uh, revenues in this way. And I think more and more people, especially out West, where the marijuana issue is more developed, are going to be leaning towards not just decriminalization, but actually, you know, what we call, you know, tax control, regulate and educate, you know, basically a controlled legalization strategy. The great tragedy in California is that they had an opportunity. You know, I was involved uh, with a colleagues in California putting a ballot initiative on in the last election, Prop 5, that would have effectively shifted a billion bucks a year from the prison and parole side to treatment and rehabilitation, would have saved taxpayers $2.5 billion after all that was said and done, would have reduced the prison population by 30,000 people, nonviolent offenders only, huge public support. But in the last moment, the prison guards union and their allies put $3.5 million bucks against us. They got Diane Feinstein and Jerry Brown you know, on the face of their ads saying this will scare the hell out of the California public, and they beat that. Now, in fact, they're looking back with regret and realizing they should have taken that option. You know, I think that 2009 will probably be the first year in the last 40 where the cumulative incarcerated population is going to drop. And that'll be overwhelmingly because of the state budget deficits and the need to stop pullback on spending in that area. Ethan Nadelman is head of the Drug Policy Alliance. We spoke after the Cato Policy Forum, Mexico's drug war, the growing crisis on our southern border. You can listen to the event at Cato.org.